Lord Jesus, thank you for uh, the, the, the opportunity to proclaim you in this way. Lord, we pray that you are being worshipped from the time we walk in, connecting with each other, music, reading of your word, to the proclamation. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would guide this time uh, to equip and encourage the people of God. Encourage us, Lord. Strengthen us. Renew our minds. Take the myths out. Give us hearts to repent. Give us hearts of joy. Give us perspective as we open up your word. Lord, would you use me? Lord, I pray that you would allow uh, my frailty, my pride, all those things to fall by the wayside so that you might be exalted. Would you graciously use a broken vessel to show your power? In Jesus' name, amen. So, yeah, if you would uh, turn to First Thessalonians, we are, are in our uh, new book, y'all. Praise the Lord. Hope you're excited about that. Um, so I guess the rest of our crew will have to catch up online. That's what's up. First Thessalonians, small book. Uh, after we've done a couple biggies, uh, our last one being uh, Exodus, as, as Matthew is shaking his head with his eyes big, like, Almost two years, but praise the Lord. I mean, and we, we go through books of the Bible in our local community uh, just desiring to uh, obey God, right? We, we, in the flesh, can stay in uh, areas that are, are comfortable, that make us feel good, make us feel smart, even as pastors, right? I can keep talking from a pastor that I studied in, you know, seminary or a book that I like. Uh, but what we do in order to uh, make sure that Christ is exalted is that we don't, we don't want to be a respecter of persons. We want to walk through the scriptures. And so our, our, my prayer, and I've, we've said this many times, is that we would go through every book of the Bible exegetically, that we would understand the scriptures, uh, that before the Lord, I would be able to say, Lord, you know, hey, we did the best we could. Praise Jesus. You know, I gave him the brainwash. Now, I don't know what y'all did with it, but... Uh, but you got it. the word was proclaimed here and the good news was proclaimed. So that's the that's our heart is that you would hear the hope that we have in Jesus through your word. So right now um, we're in first uh, Thessalonians and letters. This is a this is a letter which is different than the Pentateuch in that way. They're all letters. But this um, but the Pentateuch is more of a historical proclamation where these epistles are, are occasional letters uh, dealing with certain scenarios. Now, uh, Many of us probably don't we probably don't write many letters, right? I mean, and when you write a letter, um, like it takes some work, right? Like if you write a letter, it's probably pretty meaningful, right? Like you, my point is that uh, maybe it's just me. I mean, I hardly ever write letters, but when I do write a letter, it must be pretty important. I must be really want to communicate something, communicate something well, and I must it must right. It must be a a very serious moment. And, I, and I, I say that because when we look at these letters, we also know that when you write a letter, you can't talk about everything every time you write a letter. All right. So I want to pause. I'm going to say that again, because you can't talk about everything every time you write a letter, because whenever you go into books of the Bible, you know, say the, the, the focus might be that people are really having a hard time understanding God's grace. So much of the letter is about honing in on who God is and the grace that he uh, that he projects uh, to all of his creation. And then you get someone who gets upset and says, well, you're not teaching the whole Bible. You know, what about, you know, uh, what about truth? You know, and I'm like, yes, amen. But right now he's talking about grace. You see, so 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 don't do that to me as we walk through first Thessalonians again is. Just remember, it's an occasional letter, and, and, there's, and there's a reason why he's focusing on some other things and they're not focusing based on where they are in their journey. I was wanting to understand how to encourage those people uh, where they are, which I would say is a good litmus test for us, actually, on how to encourage. So letters, letters family, they have an agenda. All right. So Paul definitely has an agenda here. And so what I want us to do in order to understand his agenda a, a little thoroughly, I feel like it would be most. And this is really cool, actually, in First Thessalonians, that that I don't have to just simply give you um, historical facts from antiquity to understand First Thessalonians. But I can actually point you to an excerpt in Scripture that actually brings out what's happening in Thessalonica. You guys should remember it because we study the book of Acts. How long were we in Acts? We were in Acts for over a year as well, right? And so it was a good time. Stop it. So, uh, so hey, check this out, family. So here's what I want you to do. So let's turn um, to Acts uh, chapter 17. 
All right. When you're there and you have Bibles right in the front, if you can grab those, it should be on your screen as well. <coughs> All right, let's get, some, let's get some food from Jesus. The scriptures read, Now when, verse 1, Now when they had passed uh, through um, Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. It says they, it's probably talking about uh, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, two guys who were with him, proclaiming the gospel as well. Okay. Uh, and it says they're in Thessalonica, which is, which is uh, uh, a very kind of, probably mostly a Greek area, so mostly Gentiles, but there were some Jewish people there as well. The reason why we know that is because there's a synagogue there. It says where there was a synagogue of the Jews. But they, weren't, but they weren't overcoming the city. But it just lets you know, the author is letting you know that there was some influence there where they were able to have a synagogue, a place of worship. Uh, verse 2, And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. So uh, what he did, normally when he went to these different places that we saw in Acts, he would go... And what you do is you first go to people. If you're proclaiming something, you think about it. You're, you're proclaiming, um, if you're, I'm trying to imagine, uh, you're proclaiming information to someone. And you're thinking, who do I talk to first? You probably want to talk to the people who have the, the, uh, the clearest foundational base that you have, right? The person who has the most common ground, that the, basically the lowest hanging fruit in the flesh is probably the people you're going to reach out to. Right, so it didn't make much sense in, in Paul's mind to start out proclaiming it to the Gentiles, who now you got to go through a whole overarching understanding of what we're talking about. When we're talking about the gospel. When we're talking about Jesus Christ. Talking about the Pentateuch. But what he does, he starts by saying, "You know what? Let me go to the synagogue because at least they understand all the, the thousand year history that I'm t- that I'm coming from." Okay, so that was the point there. It's like this. This is we can start with common knowledge, and that's what you do, right? When you if you come in, you know, you come into a community, you're trying to figure out how do we have common ground when you're having someone over for dinner, right? Or who 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 can I connect with where I feel like we can start this thing off and we can have some sense of common ground where the shade can be open. So that's what he does, right? And it says he reasoned with these guys. Um, in verse two, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead and saying this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Now, he says some really weird things <laughs> to these individuals because they never even thought in their wildest years that the Messiah would be a suffering servant. OK, so but but he knew he thought, well, but at least you understand that there's a Messiah coming. So, so, we'll, so I don't know how we're going. I don't know how I'm gonna get you over this other hump, but we'll start here. Messiah's coming. Y'all are excited about the Messiah? Actually, he's gonna get murdered for you. What? That's weird. I thought he was gonna come and take over. We're gonna run things. He's going to, Rome's been doing all the stuff to us. Hellenized world. It's all Rome's running everything. When's, when's God gonna run everything? Right. So, so this is this is kind of what he's dealing with. So now the scriptures say. Verse 4, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. So some people heard it with good news, and as did a great many of devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But guess what? In this, what's interesting, he goes to the synagogue and God gives grace. Love the picture here because he preaches, one, he preaches the gospel and it says, man, Jews, actually some Greeks, Leading women who leading women who had some good clout in that area, they all, by God's grace, heard and thought, "This is good news. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ." Right? But I love, and this is where I'm amazed at the, the spiritual realm that you and I are in. And this is Paul setting us up, and I'm hopefully hopefully this will minister to you because I think we need to hear this word. Notice, same gospel. Some people love it. Watch what other people do. The scriptures say, he says, oh, people come to Christ, uh, verse 5. But the Jews, these other individuals, maybe the leaders, were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rebel, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason. Jason probably is a guy who was um, favorable about hearing the good news of Jesus Christ, hearing about Jesus Christ, you know, living a life perfect, knowing no sin, dying on the cross, rising from the dead. He heard it. He didn't think it was dumb. He thought, man... Come to my house. I'll set you up. I'll make sure that I, I, I could be the one to deploy you into the city, right? Well, this guy's there, just Jason. It's, you know, it says, hey, we go attack the house, this dude's house, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting. So Jason gets dragged out too with them, right? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Excuse me, guys. I didn't see that. Jason gets dragged out too. And check this out. It says, uh, 
These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, which basically means these men who are causing all this kind of trouble, uh, they've come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. That's how you really want to get people killed in antiquity in the first century. You say, hey, they're saying that Caesar's not God. Actually, it's this other guy, Jesus, right? Now the Romans, the Romans get, they get upset now. Like, wait a minute. I didn't care about y'all, your crazy Jewish stuff. But when you start talking about trying to do something wrong, we need to step in. So that was, that was a fodder to try to really get these guys in trouble, right? And it says here, and the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let him go. So we won't read the whole chapter. So basically, they take some resources from Jason and they say, hey, take these guys, get them out of the city. I don't ever want to see them again. Okay. And think about that. That, that was three weeks, goes three Sabbaths, preaches the gospel. People get saved. People come to Christ. Individuals get mad. They start a huge riot. As you, if you guys remember in Acts, they get beat up. Okay, remember? <laughs> Flogged and all that. Uh, sent away. Can't come back. And guess what? There's a bunch of people in this city who's still identifying with Christ. You ever think about this? Jason still had to live there. They went in. Ramshacked his house, dragged him out. Trust me, this wasn't nice. He probably was beat up. Everybody in the city sees who the traitor is. At least Paul gets to leave. He has to get up the next morning and go to work. He has to raise his kids there. Wait a minute. But that's easy if you deny Christ. My fault. I'm sorry. I don't know why I had that guy in my house. I'm sorry. But that didn't happen. How do you live a life for Jesus? Can you imagine being him and the next day still saying, yes, he's my Lord. Can you imagine that? Have you thought about that? That's what's happening here. This is the, this is the environment. What happens is Paul leaves, goes to Berea, goes to Athens, and goes to Corinth. And that happens in a few weeks. And, and the historians feel uh, that he was he was in First Thessalonians he was in Thessalonians probably in the fifty fifty A.D., uh, which is only like twenty years after after uh, the resurrection, which by of the, of the crucifixion actually. Which when you think about it now, being an older guy, uh, you know, and being now I can look back and go, man, I, I can go twenty years, and I mean I was in college, you know. Actually, I was it's been more than twenty years, which is crazy. But but it makes me it, it it gives me appreciation. I feel like when I was twenty and someone said, "Oh, they wrote the letters twenty years later," I thought, "Man, that's a crazy long time." That's a, but now I'm like, I remember distinct stuff. You know, a lot of distinct memories of my college days, like it was yesterday. The older I get, now I'm realizing, man, that I can see the Holy Spirit. I, I, I pragmatically I can see that that was pretty close. You can teach next week, brother, but it's me. I'm, I'm running things this week. So, so notice this. Go to, go to even, so you, you see what's happening there. Go turn to 1 Thessalonians and look, look at chapter 2. As we're just kind of seeing like what, like the, the environment that the book is written in. And I think, and this helps us. If we don't really get this, if we don't understand the environment, I think it'll hinder um, how you receive what Paul is saying, which I always say is very important. It's like in 1 Corinthians. You know, if you read 1 Corinthians as an encouragement, you, it'll mess you up, right? Your doctrine will be all messed up. And I talk to many people where they see Corinthians, it's like, oh, this is an encouragement. Paul is telling us to do this stuff. And now your whole, all your interpretation is messed up. Actually, by the way, this is a free. 1 Corinthians reading, it was written at, with a mad Paul who was discouraged, and he was trying to tell the church, y'all are doing all kind of crazy stuff. You see the difference? If you're thinking like that, your interpretations will be very different than, wow, I'm supposed to speak like angels. You follow me? Okay? In the same way, you look at First Thessalonians, it's important to say, what's the mood of the book? What's going on? Why, like, what's, what's happening with the people? When people get this letter, are they sad? Are they excited? Are they mad at Paul? Do they like Paul? Does Paul like them? All that matters, right? When you write a letter, it matters if you like the person, right? If you're writing a, a, a love note, oh, baby, it's been a while. Or if you're like, I heard what you said about my mama. Right? Those are different letters. 
right? Those are very different letters. So, so it's important. So look at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. You're going to check this out again because we're going to go through the whole book. But look what he says in verse 17. He says, but since, you're there, family? But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. See, we, we looked at what happened in Acts, and now that makes more sense, right? Then that verse makes sense now? He's talking about that. He said, man, they took us, they, they made us leave. Said, we long to see you because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Which, by the way, I wonder if Paul saying, hey, I really, really wanted to come. He didn't mention his homies. I wonder, I'm just, just theologians believe because you know, probably Silas and Timothy was like, hey, man, we preach the gospel. Why are we going to go back there? You know what I'm saying? Because I ain't trying to get killed. And Paul's like, I really, really, really want to come to you. He doesn't mention the brothers there. But Satan hindered us. Which, by the way, I love, you know, it's not overly spiritual to recognize a spiritual realm, by the way. It's interesting, in, in, in Acts, you don't hear any talk, you don't see Satan there. You see men acting crazy, trying to kill him, throwing him out. But it's interesting that here, he doesn't mention all that. He just says, Satan hindered us. Because as you do life, you should have two lenses all the time as a believer. You should be able to see in a natural realm, and you should also be able to see in a supernatural realm. And I want to propose to you that it's actually really healthy to understand and articulate your spiritual realm glasses. Because you can start thinking like an unbeliever and just thinking all it is is this, is this podium here and these chairs. And that there's not supernatural things going on right now. But it's interesting that he says Satan hindered us. For what is our hope and joy and our crown of boasting before Lord Jesus at his coming age is not you. Point there, I just want to show you. This is the milieu. This is the, the environment that First Thessalonians, that the, as he's writing these, these books, I'm sorry, these, these, these letters to Thessalonica, this is what's going on. And you know what he's saying? Think about it. So now does it make sense? What would you say to a people like that? They're getting persecuted. They were, they were getting persecuted the day he left. Can you imagine? You would wonder, I mean, when I was in... Um, in 96, we did a trip to Turkey, and it just opened up. Uh, what I mean by that is they're finally saying people could have, you know, can like preach the Bible and not go to jail. You know, still didn't have any Bibles there. And I remember that, um, and if you've done mission work in a, in a closed country, you, you recognize, you, you remember kind of these feelings. Uh, a lot of times in some of, these, in some of these countries, the government might know that they've agreed that a place is open, but it doesn't filter down to the police yet. Right, and so I remember. I remember. So I'm like, "Well, praise the Lord!" You know, I'm doing a spring break trip. Oh, this is great! And then they're like, "Eric, duck and hurry up, get in the get in the car." And hey, we gotta go. And I'm like, "We're going to Bible study. Where, where are we going? We gotta." And then we're driving, and we would drive literally like 15 minutes to get like three three houses down because we we're trying to just make sure people weren't following us. And then we would go all the way up to like the sixth floor, some little bitty room. And I'm like, "I thought y'all said it was open, right?" What's, 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 what's going on here? Like, why, why, why are we doing all this? And I even remember when we were out on campus, we started proclaiming, giving the Bibles to people, heady, heady, giving the gifts to people. And all of a sudden we see these guys, you know, because in, in, in 96, they would walk around with their M16s, broad daylight, just like this, you know. And they're seeing us give out the Bibles. And all of a sudden they're like, hey, you want to talk to us? And I'm like, I didn't want to talk to him. So we keep walking. He walks faster. We get on this little... It was, it was just weird. Basically, the, the, the officers started chasing us. We get on this little bus, and he doesn't catch us. And I'm just thinking, what in the world? And I say that because what I began to think, too, was, man, we handed out a bunch of Bibles. We had a lot of good conversations. But, man, I probably don't never see those people again. You know, I wonder, you know, will, will, the, will, will the gospel stick? Will they continue to keep on keeping on? The people who come up to the, the, the seventh floor in our Bible study as we're just proclaiming the Christ and, and the, the, the few national, I'm sorry, it wasn't even nationals then, the few people who had came over and they were proclaiming the gospel and they had to leave on furlough and all these other things. Well, will the gospel stick? You know, are, are, because if I'm not here, like, well, and you go back out into the world and they're telling you that's dumb. There's four gospels. Why are you, why are you saying that dumb stuff? Right. We're going to kill you. Think about it. 
in this text here, in this history that we're talking about, people were beat up. In fact, it says that as we continue on the scriptures, that people were killed, killed. This is hard for you and I to understand because we have our, this, how many Bibles are in this room? Do you, did, when you came in here this morning, can we just be sober about this? When you came in here this morning, did you think that someone's going to run in here and throw a bomb and blow this church up? Did you think about that? No, probably didn't. Do you know, family, there are places in our world right now today where people go to church and they wonder that. They have to sit and go, is someone going to come in here and shoot all of us? This was the environment. I'm harping on it because it's important. You know why? Because when it's like that, it makes sense for him to write a letter and say, guys, keep on keeping on. Hold it together. Endure for the faith. No matter, even if you die, stand firm for Jesus. It matters. How do you encourage people who are going through this kind of stuff? Don't throw in a towel. So he's exhorting them. He's here. He wants to give them a big boost of faith. He wants to, he, he wants to encourage them. And then you'll see throughout the letter, he wants to give them a lot of Christian ethics. Hey, just it's, it's worth it what you're doing. I love what you're doing. Keep doing it. And hey, here's what it looks like to live for Jesus. This is what he's doing, family. We're uh, out of time. So he, so he sends Timothy uh, to strengthen the congregation. And let me give you a few tidbits real quick, you know, if you, uh, for you fat guys that you, you would like this, um, men and women. Uh, first and foremost, the, the city in, in itself, before we jump into the text, was, it was founded in 315 B.C. Uh, by Cassander, who was named after his wife. Um, it was named after his wife. Actually, the stepsister Alexander the Great. Again, you you'll see all throughout all these beginning centuries so much influence for Alexander the Great because of what he did with the known world at that time. Um, so uh, basically, Thessalonica was made uh, the, cap- the capital of Macedonia during that uh, later later in like 140 uh, BC or so. Huge, large city, seaport city, second largest in um, in northern Greece, uh, and it was it was a uh, very strategic, like commercially strategic, as far as imports. And, and so you had a lot of money coming in and out. Uh, so very uh, cultural hotbed, right? Probably like Detroit in this heyday, you know, being like right next to Canada and having the river and all that good stuff. Um, so Paul plants this, he, he plants this church uh, on his second missionary journey. Well, I'll show you a few pictures in a moment. You know, the, the, uh, they, they, they did three missionary journeys. Uh, maybe three and a half, some theologians would say. And this was doing his second missionary journey. Uh, and, and, the, and the book Thessalonians, the one that we're doing right now, guys, uh, is one of the, uh, the earliest books written in all the New Testament. So that was one of the reasons why I actually wanted to go and, and start here. I mean, think about it. So the drama started happening in 50 AD, and he wrote the book like the next year, like 51. Some theologians say 50, 51, like a few months. Uh, very serious. And, and it's probably, I propose to you, one of the most intimate letters. Uh, in all the epistles that Paul writes, uh, maybe you know Galatians and James can cannot maybe rival the early, being earlier. Uh, Corinthians is pretty early too, but, but 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 all theologians agree that this is one of the earliest documents. So so it's funny because our Bible you can kind of feel like it goes sequential order. It doesn't by any means in that imagination. Uh, the First Thessalonians was, um, which oh by the way, see didn't it make more sense? It's one of the earlier books. And look at some of the, the theology he's talking about. And look at what people are worried about. Think about it. This is where you get the eschatology stuff, right? People are like, well, when are he coming back? Where Jesus at? Look, man, I, I gave my house. We, like, how long am I have to do How long am I have to live like this? Am I going to have to live my whole life worried that we're going to get killed? Right? Think of, think of, the, think of the, the, uh, the framework. Uh, the book is written like encouragement, uh, persecution, and peace. You can go to that, that slide, please. Uh, so encouraging the people of God uh, in the midst of this persecution and, and just reminding them that, hey, at the end of the day, you have peace in Christ. And so even if you die, uh, it's worth it. Uh, eschatology and endurance, right? That you, you can endure. You can, you can fight the fight of faith. 
Well, right? Because, because guess what? The Lord is going to return. He's going to restore you. He's going to make all things new. Right? These are some of the big main points. And then the election and faith. You, the doctrine of election, you know, we got to be careful in our reform circles. The doctrine of election is a very important doctrine, not just for information's sake, but election, what it's what's supposed to do for you and me. The doctrine of election is supposed to give you confidence and safety. It's supposed to be like, oh, God has, has snatched me up. <sighs> That's what's supposed to happen. It shouldn't just be smart stuff, smart information. It's supposed to gird in you a passion for God's glory to want to minister the gospel because he's already got you in his bosom. That's what's supposed to happen. So he's, he's going to be using this, talking through this with people. Um, election and faith. We talked about the journey of, the, there's uh, two maps um, I just want to remind you, we, we've looked at this over and over again when we were in Acts. Uh, you can show the, the journey maps if they're on there. <clears throat> you remember these guys? Yeah, you're like, uh-huh. Yeah, so <laughs> I didn't put the first one up. Let's put the second and third one. So the, the second missionary journey. I just get blown away, though. You think of Philippi and Thessalonica being maybe 100 miles apart from each other. And I'm just, like, what, what would that be from Detroit to, what would that be? Past Flint or something like that. I don't know, y'all. I'm just, I'm just always, look at how many miles his brother traveled. And, you know, <laughs> you think, I just think it's amazing what, what they did during their time to proclaim the gospel. I just think it's absolutely, I, I'm always blown away uh, at that, considering what they had uh, in order to travel and the unknown. Like, they were very nervous about the water, by the way, because they didn't know what was out there. So that's why, by the way, this is for free. We, we hear water analogies in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. Like the whole concept is like shield, like it's like, like dangerous death or like because it's like the abyss. It's like I don't really know what's out there. It must be evil. Uh, so that's the kind of picture um, in Scripture. So, okay, that was, that was just a brief little snapshot of like, hey, here's some, some fact tidbits. Why, like, why are you concerned? Why, what does it have to do with us? You might be thinking, Eric, like this is an immature church. They've been they're Christians for a couple of weeks. Like we've been rolling with Jesus for years now here at MacAv specifically. But even before MacAv, I was, you know, reading my Bible and having quiet times at coffee shops. Like why, why what does it have to do with me, you know, based on my journey and these guys and I want to encourage you guys, I think this is a very important book. First of all, every time we open up the Bible, as, as, as Mikey said up here, that we wouldn't get used to the gospel, uh, that we would be hungry. That you would be hungry for God's truth. And you would be renewed in your minds, um, primarily. But I also want you to know there's three, other, there's three reasons why I think this is important for us. First, we've got to recognize we are not being persecuted like this church. right? We're not being persecuted uh, like this church. But I want to propose to you and me that we need to learn how to care for the persecuted church as a local community. And I'm hoping that even during this time, that one of the, uh, the next steps we would have is like this, how to care more for, you know, some of the missionaries that we're supporting already. What does it look like? Man, we're going to be supporting other missionaries in the future. Uh, what does it look like for us to just be engaged in the persecuted church and understanding that, man, people don't, this is, this is grace, y'all. But there are people who are living and they're going, man, if I give my life to Jesus, my family might get killed. I might have to leave the country. I mean, just imagine the drastic steps some people are taking to say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. This, this is not just some fact stuff for people. Like a lot of us, like, yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ. These people are like, man, if I say yes to this, my whole life changes. I don't get to talk to my daughter anymore. Imagine that. So as we, as we get ready to send cats like even... Um, you know, Josh and Colette eventually, as they want to preach the gospel in, you know, in areas that, uh, where the gospel is not being preached. I mean, I just want us to, I want us to, to gird ourselves up a little bit. Okay, fam? Um, and I think this book will help us toward that end. Um, but also, I, I hope that we can be uh, humble enough as a local community to realize our persecution within, our, within the United States. Because, see, persecution here is very cloaked, right? Satan has really fooled us because the persecution... I don't even know how to say it. Like, we almost like it. So it's cloaked, right? Um, and, and so we find ourselves putting ourselves in comfortable situations to not be persecuted. And I think that's the trick of Satan. So we find ourselves never, never putting ourselves in harm's way because you can literally live a really cool Christian life in America and never really experience persecution if you work hard at it. 
Right. I propose, and I'm pretty sure you would agree with me, as you know, we've done teachings on like where I've shown you 30 verses on God saying, hey, actually, you're going to get more suffering than the world being my child. Like he just puts it out there. Like it's not prosperity theology. He ain't lying to us. Jesus said, yes, you want to be a Christian? Actually, being a Christian means you actually take the cross that I had, you put it on, and you walk around and you show people who Christ is so they can see Christ through you and they can know who I am. Like that's, like that's, modern, that's part of our, our role. And so I want to propose if we're walking around and we're trying to figure out ways to not really struggle in life and how do we make sure that I have my best not life now and all this madness that the world tells us, we've missed something about the gospel family. So... Um, and I think the second reason we need to, we need this book is because I don't I don't think we're as grown up as we think we are, as a local community. In fact, I, uh, one of, one of my passions for us family um, is we need to keep believing and reviving our hearts in the Word. And I just I just want us to thrive. And everyone's not here. I wish everybody was here. I'm going to say it over and over again. I feel like we're a desire. We're a body that wants to preach the gospel. We want to do evangelism. We want to do discipleship. We we want to live holistically biblical lives. But man, I just, I don't think we are, I, don't, I still don't think we're thriving yet. I look at the areas in our church, and I'm like, man, we got good people. Man, they're, 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 they're giving up things for Jesus, praise God, you know. But I look around, I'm like, man, are we thriving? Are we, are we happy? Are we enjoying? Are we enjoying our suffering? I look around, I'm like, man, I don't, I don't think so yet. But I'm hopeful. I don't say that to put us down. I'm saying, hey, my, my prayer is for me and you, man, for us to thrive. For you to, for you, man, for someone to say, where you go? You go, I go to Mecca, baby, where you go? For you to be excited about this local church and your community. For you to love the 4214 and to love the people in it. For it not to be a sob story, but it be a magnifying God story. For you to want to be in discipleship and want to like be pouring your life into people and be faithful and preparing for people and praying for people and crying with people. To be thriving as a local body. To be organic in that. That's the prayer. For us to go out and say, man, my, my, my evangelism muscles are weak and I get nervous and I don't want to proclaim the gospel. It's going to look, make me look weird, but I know God wants me to do it. For us to take those steps and together to proclaim Christ, preach Christ, invite people over, say, hey, I don't know how to even say this. I know it's not even the subject matter. We we're just talking about Shark Tank. But man, do you know Jesus? For us to go there in all the areas that God has made so clear. So I'm hoping this book will teach us something about thriving. And then we'll just learn how to be a servant. All right, let's jump right in. Uh, the first week, uh, Mac Average, you get it. Now, visitors, this is new to you. First week is just an intro so I don't dive super deep exegetically. Just like to give a little overview of the tender, the heart of things, so that we can jump in with, with, with an informed understanding. You know, it's like jumping in... Uh, a pool, you want to know how deep the water is. You know what I'm saying? You want to be doing swan dives and four feet. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so you want to figure out where you're at. And so I just want us to know where we are kind of deal. Okay, family. So let's jump in. We're going to look at the first 10 verses real quick. Blow through them. we praying pray and enjoy the Lord. I want to encourage you to read the whole book. Man, I want to encourage you to try to read First Thessalonians 5 chapters. Try to read through the book maybe six times. You can do six to ten times, over and over again, just to read through it. So digest the word, right? I mean, at the end of the day, my, my prayer is that when we go through a book of the Bible, that you have, a, a, that you can be pretty, that you can be look dangerous, at least, with the Bible in that book. Because we're, we're, that's why we're walking through it methodically. That's why your elders, that's what we pray through and say, that's how we want to do this. So that you can go through Galatians even now and say, I remember we went through Galatians. And here's, what I, here's the, the main points of Galatians, as it were. Verse 1. Paul opens this up. That's the tenor. That's what's going on. People are, are needing some encouragement. <clears throat> it says, Paul, Savannah, which is uh, kind of like the, like, si- like <clears throat> um, Silas is like the abbreviated version of this. <laughs> Uh, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. 
uh, is this cool that it seems like Paul is a writer, but also he has some other, what they call amenuensis, that some other people helping write it, write this as well. We don't know who did what, but that's cool. Uh, this is a greeting that's absolutely normal in the first century. Uh, but what Paul does is really cool is um, that he takes the word like uh, their normal salutations would be kind of like this, but it, would, it was the same as us saying, dear Eric. But what's cool is that what Paul does is he actually, this is cool, he Christianizes the thing, right, when he adds, because um, they would say, when he says grace to you and peace, and obviously he Christianized things in God the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, which is him, again, trying to remind people uh, who Jesus Christ is, uh, that he is uh, the God-man himself. And then the grace to you and peace is kind of to remind these individuals who are getting this letter that, man, here's what God does. If you're encouraged, he gives grace in order to actually bring you peace. Like he's he's just almost starting a letter off, just trying to kind of get them ready, get them theologically primed to receive the letter. And notice here, uh, other than in some letters, he there's no need to affirm his apostleship. He's not doing all that. Again, occasional letter. Right. They like him. And so he doesn't have to go and beg him to please listen to me. Um, That's not his deal here. Uh, verse two, it says, we give thanks to God always for you, for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. He's not, it's not flattery. Uh, the Lord is not about flattery. You see that in, in actually later in this book in, in first Thessalonians two, but also in Galatians six, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter one. Uh, but he's, he's building rapport just like we all do. You know, you got to, you want to cast vision. You got to get a build rapport. So he's kind of saying, Hey, I just want to let you know, I love you. You guys are awesome. Um, and he's trying to encourage them something. You know what he's trying to do? This is so plain. He's saying, guys, I just want you to know something. Like, actually, when I was with you, you really became Christians. <laughs> That's what he said here. That's why he's basically just encouraging them. Hey, actually, that work in you is real. That, that, that stuff in you is real, right? We give thanks to God always for all of you. Constantly mentioning you in our prayers. I love the prayer headline there. And here's what he says. He says, Hey, I, I remember you, and I, I want you to know that, that that work in you is real, and here's why. And he gives kind of uh, the depictions of why. He gives kind of the reasonings behind why. And here's how I know this work that's happening in you is real. And I, and I want to pause here because this isn't, this isn't abnormal. I mean, maybe it was just me, but you become a Christian, or you say yes to Jesus, or someone mentions the gospel to you. And some of us, God just like, boom, hits you with like a ton of bricks. And like, I mean, just radically there's change. But for the person who has radical change, for the person who has gradual change, there's those times where you're like, okay, when all the emotion wears off, like, was that real? Like, am I, like, there's no butterflies, there's, you know, like, is it, I'm just reading the Bible and, and praying, and is this, is, this, is this real? Like, am I, am I saved? Like, like, has the Holy Spirit, has God himself entered into my life? Is this real? And so I think he wants to encourage them. This, what happened to you is real. And, here, and here's why we know. Verse 3. Remember before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see what he does here? He gives the, most, the primary virtues that you see all throughout scriptures. You might want to circle those. Those are always important, guys. Uh, faith, love, and hope. Okay, You'll see Paul mention those all the time. In fact, theologians call it like the, <clears throat> the characteristic trinity. Right? You have like your three trinities in the Bible. You have your characteristic trinity, faith, hope, and love. You have the trinity, the trinity himself, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then you have the evil trinity, right? the flesh, the world, and Satan. Um, and so he, he's, he tells them here, he says, hey, I, I know that this is true in you. The reason why I know is because I'm seeing uh, these, these, these virtues work in your life. But it's very interesting that this is one of the few places where he is not focusing in on faith, love, and hope. Those are important. Actually, that is kind of the, the soil. That's kind of the soil of how things are birthed. But what he does, he places those words. This is grammar stuff here, but it's important to understand the text. He places those words as subjunctive Genitives, right? The reason why that's important is because they're saying there's something else that he wants to focus on, and actually, it's actually these works here. So he, so in this text, he's saying God has birth, done all that in you, but the reason I know He's done all that in you is because of the fruit I see in you. You see that because of the work, labor, and endurance. 
The work, labor, and endurance lets me know that actually you have birthed in you by the Holy Spirit that sense of faith, hope, and love. He, what he does, he does deductive reasoning, right? He, he, he goes backwards, not forwards. He says, I see these things in your life, which lets me know that these things are part of the soil, which lets me know that God is at work in you. This, I think and you know, kind of give Jenny some love. Look at this tree that she made, guys. You show the tree real quick. So this is uh, this is my my little faith, love, hope tree. All right, and what I what I want you to see here is like this is basically basically God uses birth and faith in us. And let me even walk through the words real quick here so we understand what's happening because He uses these words um, work of faith, for example. That's not. Um, that's not saying you're working for your faith. That's basically saying that uh, when, when God basically makes you a Christian, right, that, uh, that this, is, this is what it looks like. You made a decision to believe in Jesus. That's what he's talking about. Um, and then he said, then you have the labor. That's serving and working for others' benefit. This is what they're seeing. And then in persistence in spite of persecution. That, that's what he's seeing. The endurance, the work, and the labor is that a key component to an individual, if you're saying, are you really a believer? Do you really love Jesus Christ? It seems like Paul is saying that these are the key indicators of knowing a person's heart for Jesus. And the reason why I want to I sh- shape that, because I want us to think about that in our own life, right? The, the issue of endurance, having, I love the, the, the concept, persistence in spite of persecution. Continually entering into that space where you'll be misunderstood, where there can be suffering, for the greater good of knowing that God is your king. At the end of the day, guys, real hope, real hope is always going to be knocked. It's going to be, it's going to be hit. It's going to be pressed against. Right. And, I, and I want to propose to you and I that this kind of endurance that we need uh, it happens when, when our stake is in a new life. That's the hope piece. So labor, endurance, and work. Again, he's telling them, hang in there. Keep your head above water. I see this happening into you. I see this happening to you. I see steadfastness in the midst of these pressures. And guys, can I just pause real quick and just remind us that this is very different than what you hear in a lot of areas, and actually, sadly, some churches, where the doctrine of suffering isn't preached a lot. Okay? But at MacAb, it's preached a lot. Now, I know you're like, why are you always preaching the doctrine of suffering? It's because Jesus did. Okay? That, the, that I, don't want to, I don't want to do a hustle. I don't want to hustle you. Um, and in fact, I want you to know that God is saying that the world hates him. Okay, and so if we are really standing up for Jesus, there will be persecution. I want to propose to you again, not just persecution from other humans, but I'm saying spiritual persecution where things would start happening. And you're like, why does it happen to me? You never had that. You just be like, I can't really explain this. This is so weird. Like all of a sudden you got friends saying, doing things to you. You're like, what, what happened? Here? You got Enemies that you didn't know your enemies. You got this thing started happening. And it's like, like just basically you're like, what's it's like everything just break loose. I would have proposed to you. And here's what's funny. Being a pastor now for, for, for many years, I'm amazed at how the same persecution happens to people, the same kind of suffering. My point is, I mean, people, you come and then people's cars get broken into, uh, marriages get attacked. Right. Weariness of just being this, this not having the resources you want. I mean, I can go through the list of how you just kind of get kind of broken down. It's slowly like, man, I just want to settle. You know, one of my favorite movies is Matrix. You know, and the guy tells him, I don't know if you've ever seen a movie, but it's a guy who gets a chance to choose if he's going to live for real or if he can live a fake life based on whatever they give him. And you know, it's fake. But he's like, I'm just so not wanting to experience reality. Can you just give me the blue pill? I'll live the fake life. Make sure I have a nice steak dinner. That's what he literally tells the guy. He says, I want to go to a nice restaurant and have a steak dinner. And they show him eating steak. Right? Guys, those unbelievers totally stole that from the reality of spiritual suffering. That you get to the point where you sometimes just go, can I just have a steak dinner? I don't, I don't want another person misunderstanding what I'm trying to do. I don't want to have to go through trying to give to this person knowing that I'm struggling too. 
I don't want to share the gospel and have this person in my house when they don't respect. Go through the line of all the areas where you could experience headache and you say, man, I just want to do me. I want, can I be my God just for a little Jesus? You'd be asking Jesus that. Persistence. And that's why the Christian life family, hear me, it is a marathon and Satan knows that. That's why he's, he's okay for you to start out all happy and all excited. I'm coming to Mac by my house. Woo! Yeah, I'm going to tear down this wall. We're going to redo this bathroom. It's going to be awesome. Like, uh-huh. He's standing there like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. And we got time. I got time. It's one thing after another going to come. You're going to get mad at her for something dumb. You're going to get mad at him for something justified. But you're still supposed to forgive him. You can get mad because Eric said something crazy up front. Matt group didn't do the thing you wanted them to do. The church always talking about race. Just think about the different things that start getting to you. And all of a sudden you start finding somebody else who has an issue and y'all start talking about it. Yeah, you didn't like that either. Right? Satan going, mm hmm. I got time. I'll slowly, slowly chip away. And you'll be amazed at the lies that I've seen formed in people's hearts throughout my years here. You'll be amazed at the narratives that people form. The narrative, you're like, dude, that's not, that wasn't the story at all. And then they'll look at you and say, I know, but, but I heard it from her, her, and him. Must be true. Admitting this gossip. I've seen it. So I'm just going to say, family, endurance, perseverance. And that's why I praise God when I look around this room and I've seen you guys get hit and hit. And you still, and I just, I just want to shout out, I just think of Lovalos. Man, I'm like, watch these guys just go, okay, Lord, we, we, we want to trust you. We're going to trust you one step at a time. And I can go through this room and give those stories. So just as one of the main reasons I thought be, the Lord would be gracious allow us to go through this, this book, because just as Paul is encouraging them, I want to encourage you. You know, I mean, watching Sandra and, and Joel, I'm really proud of y'all. I mean, it's been a long way from Parker and before Parker <laughs> and, and just watching that family just live this, a, a godly life, just fighting a fight, loving people in the community. We've been through a lot. I can go over it throughout this room. You know, watching, I mean, I'm just watching Emily with CSM and seeing the ministry they're doing and the heartache and the drama, and, but also the good things. It's a marathon, sis. It's a marathon. If I take a time, I was going to keep moving. Their hope was knocked. Imagine those guys, first century. Okay. So God is clear. We're going to have the same accidents as people in the world. Don't, don't get it twisted. You're going to have the same sickness as everybody else. You can get sick too. We don't believe in that Tom Cruise Scientology stuff. Okay? You need, but we got doctors here if you get sick. You understand? We trust the Lord. Right? But God is saying that that's the beauty of faith. Is that in the midst of the trials and more. Can I say that? And more. You have more than the world. He says, I got you. They saw Paul get run out of town, get slandered and everything. They saw people die. Some of us need this word right now. God's spirit is infusing them. They have a hope and peace. Look what he says. He says, I know you do. Look what he says. Verse four. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. There's that doctrine of election. Election again. Right, that, and I love he says, for we know. You'll see this all throughout First Thessalonians because he's trying to remind them. I've seen this, for we know. I've seen, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you about knowledge gained from past experience. You, you, you know how that is. I mean, me and, me and uh, uh, the weathers, we were out for dinner. And we just, we were, we, there's something that we were talking about, some past experiences we had at Mac where we had to confront people literally on the street back in the day who were harm, trying to bring harm to people in our body. You know, and there's something, there's something that happens when you're in the trenches with people. You know what I'm saying? And he's saying that. He's saying, look, I know y'all legit. 
Y'all was there when I got beat down. Y'all was there. I saw them drag Jason out. Past experience. See, I, want, I think one of the main reasons he brings up the doctrine of election is because to, to really battle against false teachers. Because there will be teachers who will tell you, oh, there's these certain things you got to do. You got to jump through this hoop to be a Christian. You got to do this. All right? Don't believe that craziness, Tasha. It's faith in Jesus, our Lord. He gives them evidence. See, I love, I love Christianity for all kinds of reasons. But you know, I, I was thinking about Muslim. I was talking about being in Turkey. You know, when we would talk with individuals and talk to an imam from a, like a Muslim individual, they'll never be able to, they, they, they will never say, and they always blow, they're blown away at a Christian, because we say for sure that we know that we are saved. We have confidence, not in ourselves, but in the efficacy of Christ. So we look at people and say, yes, I believe I'm, 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 I'm God's child, because what Jesus did. They look at you and that's really cute. We would never, we would never tell you that we know for sure that we were going to be with Allah. A Muslim would never say that. But see, that's, that, that's not weird for us. That's a beautiful thing. You get to say that with confidence. We don't walk around going, well, why do we get, well, maybe we shouldn't be saying it with confidence. No, I feel sad for you that you don't, you don't know for conf- with, with confidence that you can be with God. Because we do know. He says, I'm going to tell you, here's another reason why I know. Look what he says here, guys. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Say two more, two more, two two more minutes and blow through this and we're going to um, do our communion, guys. Don't miss verse five. You see that? Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. I just love, he says, here's another reason why I know that you, this is real. The way you received it. You see that? You, you, you've experienced this. I've experienced it. I talk to people all the time. And, and, imagine, and imagine Paul. Paul has preached the gospel to a ton of people. And guess what? Theologian, one of the, I mean, he, he wrote, what, 13 books of the Bible? One of the greatest theologians in our time, ever. So no one's going to articulate the doctrine better than Paul. He would preach to people. Matthew, some people hear the gospel, start crying. Oh, my goodness, I need to receive Jesus. Yes, thank you, Lord, for, for showing me the hole in my heart. And they would just receive the good news. And they would just, and other people say, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. He's, he's blaspheming. Let's kill him. He's going against Rome. He's saying that this guy who, who's, who died is king. So he saw it. He saw you preach the gospel. And someone, you've had that happen where you're talking with someone and you just see their eyes light up. You can't explain it. Guys, I hope everyone experiences that in here. I hope everyone in our body, young people, I hope you get the experience that one day, you're, Grace, you're telling one of, your, one of your roommates in college about Jesus and you just see their eyes open up. And you're just like, there's nothing I did. I just told them about the hope that we have in Christ. And all of a sudden you start seeing them go, really? And you start seeing them the next day basically casting down their idols. You start seeing them say, I don't do that anymore. Hey, can I go to the Bible study with you? Hey, can I, wait, so tell me more, how do I, where, what church do you go to? Oh, can I go to church? Can you, can you pick me up? Yeah. Hey, are you, what are you doing today? They want to hang with you. They want to get disciple. And you start seeing people change. They receive the gospel of good news. Oh, I want you to, I pray that you get to experience that joy of the Holy Spirit. You get to see the Holy Spirit. Boom! Just, and all of a sudden, you don't know why. Very intelligent person. I'll never forget. Uh, one of the head debaters at Miami of Ohio. Um, I was, a, I was, at this point, I was a senior. My old freshman roommate was a big time debater. And we had grew in a friendship. He was in another, um, uh, another uh, dorm room in the dorm we were in. And, and I, I asked the Lord, Lord, allow me to preach the gospel to every person in this dorm. And so I was going to each room, got to their room. And, um, his buddy was in here, Dan Hungerman. And he, um, and he was just, I mean, he was just a mean guy. I mean, he, he wasn't mean, but he was mean to, he was antagonistic toward the gospel. And so he was like, I don't know why you're talking about Jesus. I was like, well, I just want to tell Chris. And so I've proclaimed the gospel. He's sitting right there, just mean mugging, you know, just kind of like, and all of a sudden, 
I don't know what happened. I mean, I just, this is just, that's the beauty of it. It was just the Holy Spirit just touched this dude's heart. All of a sudden, he, he gets up and he's like, so how do I become a Christian? And I thought he was mocking me. Because he had just, when we walked in there, guys, I'm telling you, he was saying how, I can't, I don't know why you're over here telling this stuff. This is, this makes no sense. Um, he becomes a Christian. We pray. He gives me this hug. You know them hugs where you done and they still holding on to you? You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, and I'm a hugger, right? So I'm like, yeah, praise God. He's a Christian. I'm all like, and I'm like, I'm done. And he's like, <laughs> and we just hug, you know, a couple of days later, hey, Eric, um, hey, Chris said you had a Bible study. Can I go to that? Yeah, man. The whole year, just start growing in this faith, coming to crusade meetings, all this stuff. This is the head debater in Miami of Ohio. I mean, super intelligent. Guess what? To this day, I joined staff with Crusade. He came with our support team. He's been supporting us thousands of dollars for the last 20 years. He's Professor Hungerman right now in Notre Dame. He's a professor at Notre Dame, preaches the gospel, him and his wife, exalts Christ, and has been on our support team for two decades. That's God's grace. Nothing I did. This God's grace. I've seen that. That's what he said. He said, I, I, I know that you're a believer because I saw you receive the word different than some of these other cats. When they make fun of you, they laugh at you. You're, you're in there talking to these snotty-nosed college students, and they're playing their we and stuff while you're trying to proclaim the gospel, and they're ignoring you. I've had that happen. And you're looking like, I can't wait for what God do to you. Sorry, get in the flesh. But yeah, you, you're like, you're like, you're preaching the gospel to these guys. But you know what? That's not the flesh. Hey, I, let me tell you, there's a ton of prophets who said that. Wipe my feet, shake the dust off, preach the gospel to you. You was playing your weed. Hopefully, God will be merciful to you. But if not, you will have to pay for your sin. It's, it's like that. I've had that. But I've also had people where I messed up the gospel. I didn't know what I was really saying. And they're like, so you said something about this Jesus figure. And it is come to Jesus. He says that here. He's like, I saw that. I saw the Holy Spirit working power with full conviction. It's the way you received it. And you became imitators. Another way I know. You became, you became, you saw how we lived. You saw how we rolled. And then you, you imitated us. You imitated us because we were imitating the Lord. Verse 6, you, before you received the word and much affliction with joy in the Holy Spirit, all he's saying is high theology here. He's like, you retold the story of the gospel. You said your Jesus was a suffering servant. You saw me suffer and you suffered with us. Imagine that. I'm just thinking about that. He was only there three weeks. He didn't know these people very well. Three weeks and you get someone in your house and then the people come and drag you out and you still identify with me? And that's like tops. We've been hanging out for three weeks. It could have been a week or two weeks. I don't know how long he knew each person. But that just amazes me that the Holy Spirit did that much in that amount of time where a person was willing to get beat up and even murdered for Christ. That blows my mind. Only Christianity can you give, can you just have joy in the middle of this? Um, Why is that? Because Christianity is the only place where you get a God who actually suffers with you. He suffers with you. Your suffering family, hear me, is never meaningless and is never solitary. You're never suffering alone. All you're doing is now standing and remember what we talked about? You're, you're, you're outside the camp with the Jesus who already suffered with you and for you. Guess what? I love it. He did it first. He suffered alone. You get to suffer with him. Verse 7, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. They're working so much and the people are looking and going, wow. For Verse 8, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. He's like, man, people are seeing the way you're living. They're seeing what you're doing. That's amazing. So he gets to hear. He's all worried. Like I left, I didn't know what was going to happen with these people. But then he's, they're getting word. Hey, man, those people are standing firm. Actually, that church, there's some rich doctrine in that church. Those cats can preach. He's getting word. They, they're, 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 they're ministering the gospel. People coming to faith. He was only there three weeks. I'm just, three weeks. At that point. 
Spirit's working. They became more holy. They saw Jesus' power was evident, evident in their lives. Look what it says here. It says, to the point, I love it. I don't need to say nothing anymore. He said, man, y'all preaching the gospel. That's, I love that. That's my dream. That, man, y'all would be preaching the gospel so crazy it just reduced my workload. You know, I ain't even got to say nothing. Because, man, people getting the word, people growing. Verse 9, for they, they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned. Look at this. Look at this. I know that you're a believer because not only are we seeing all those things that we just mentioned, but also they're telling me that you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait, look at this, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Verse 10, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Look what he says here. He says one of the main things his family, he says, I just want to encourage you. He says, the Christian person that has the fruit of the spirit in their life. I love the sense you turn, you serve and you wait. You see that? It's, it seems like these guys and guys, we all got idols. Think about these guys. I mean, they were just stunched. I mean, when Greeks, all the men, all the gods they had, you had Aphrodite, you had, you had all kind of gods and all this a syncretism, like crazy. They added everything because they wanted to look. If they can give me good luck, I do the rabbit's foot. I do whatever you tell me because I want to have a good life. Everything was fair game to these people. And he says, you turn. Can you imagine at this point, something happened. They heard the gospel and they said, you know what, man? Baby, go get all the idols, get all the stuff. We put them in a big old bucket and we, we put them, we don't do it. We burn it. It's, it's over. It says that they, they took the stuff, they looked at their life and said, here are the areas where I'm being my own God and I'm giving it over. So they turned to God. They begin to worship. They begin to meet together. They begin to do those things that were evident of a healthy, healthy individual in Christ. But notice this. And then they waited. And that's, that's the, that's, can you imagine? He's telling them that. Because and you're going to see later why. He's like, and wait. You wait upon the Lord. This is real. Be encouraged. He's coming. Be encouraged. Stand firm. Wait on the Lord. He gives them that final exhortation. How shall we live? The questions I would ask guys, I, I was going to ask some things, but I was going to take us home. How shall we live? These are the questions. Does work, labor, and perseverance describe your new life in Christ? Does it describe your life in Jesus? When the gospel came to you, did it come in power? Like, like are you, when you hear the gospel, are you like, yes? Or is it just a bunch of facts? Is, is the gospel changing your life? That's the prayer is that the good news would have effect on your life. You can't live the same way you used to live because you don't serve the same God. Have you discarded your idols and have you turned to the living God? I want to encourage us. Look, go to your house tonight. Go to today and say, Lord, what are the idols in my life? Ask your friend or ask your spouse, what idols do you see in my life? Your, your good friend will tell you. They'll say, yeah, you, you struggle with this and this. You did, these are your three idols. You, what, do you, what, what, what gives you comfort when you walk in a room of people you don't know? Have you ever done that? What gives you comfort? You walk in a room of people you don't know, are you in there? Do you go, I don't know anybody, but man, I'm so glad I'm rich. You know what I'm saying? I don't know anybody here, but man, I look better than her or him. What, what gives you comfort? What, what makes you go... Ah, this is where my identity is. If it's not Jesus, that's probably your idol. And are you waiting with anticipation for deliverance? Lord, I pray that God would give us the grace to be a church where we would recapture how to, to learn to wait with expectation of wanting God to return. All right. Family, um, my prayer for us, if there's anyone in here right now, in any of those areas, you're like, man, I'm struggling. I pray that you'll come up so I can talk with you. We can pray together. Uh, we can do business because I'm asking God to do a radical thing in our body by his grace, through his spirit, that we would be encouraged. We would be 
desiring God, we would be thriving. I'm praying that this year God would work and work in us. We would be a thriving body. We wouldn't just be getting by, trying to work hard in the community. But man, can we thrive? Can we enjoy Christ? It seems like this is a litmus test. We pray. Lord, give us that grace. We just ask for that as we've talked to so much today and we've heard so much through our prayer time. Holy Spirit, bring glory to Christ by strengthening the saints. There are stories all throughout this room. I know them. I love that I know our body. And these are my friends, my brothers and sisters. I pray you administer deeply to our hearts. We need your grace. Give us the heart of the Thessalonica church where we would endure persecution with joy. Lord, that we would, that people all around the different streets would be saying, man, you know about Macav, which praise God, I feel like they do. Allow that to even increase so that you might be exalted. We love you, Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.